One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. In episode number 62, I talked about the popular idea that Gen Z is full of lazy and weak individuals that are not prepared for real life as adults. And today, I'm back with another clip highlighting the difference between Gen Zers and Gen Xers. But instead of just focusing on the difference in work ethic of the two generations, I'd also like to talk about the differences in culture and economic development. Because what often happens is we compare one generation to another as if both groups of people grew up in identical conditions, which in my mind is impossible. So I'd like to start a conversation about the changes we've seen in work and life balance over the years and what I believe Gen Z aspires to do about that. So let's check out a quick clip from a conversation on this topic. I hate to sound like that person crapping on a younger generation, but she's literally saying, what's it like to do something that the vast majority of people in North America have done for their entire lives. And it's we're so wrong weird. for it. I think we're wrong for it. It's, it's been measured that nobody's actually productive for eight hours a day straight, nine to five. And experiments in shorter work weeks and shorter work days have been helpful for that satisfaction, that life happiness that she was looking for and that we're all working for to begin with. Like we're working not because we want to appease some loser CEO to have a yacht. We're working so that we can be happy and have families and like live lives. So if work is actively working against that, then I think there's a big problem and we need to reevaluate why we're working in the first place. All right, my friend. Well, I know that clip was pretty short and it's obviously from a much longer conversation. I found it on TikTok. I couldn't find the full link conversation but I will leave a link to the clip in the vocabulary guide for this episode. And the clip is pretty short and there's not too much advanced language in there. But if you do want explanations of the vocabulary with example sentences and all that stuff, if you're subscribed on Patreon, you have access. And if you'd like to get access, consider scribing, scribing, Jesus, consider subscribing to my Patreon and you'll get access to not only the vocabulary guides that come with most of the episodes, but also bonus episodes. If you're interested in that, just click the link in the description. But right now, I'll just summarize the main idea of what was said, and then we'll move on with this very interesting topic. So 
it's a conversation between multiple people, but all we heard was two individuals. You have an older gentleman who I'm assuming is from Gen X. Maybe he's a baby boomer. And then you have a younger man who I'm assuming he looks like he's from Gen Z. He looks very, very young. And so the first guy is saying, listen, I don't want to sound like the typical old guy that's talking shit about a younger generation. But this girl, she's literally asking or maybe complaining about what people have done in North America for their entire lives. Like, that's weird. Why is she so confused or frustrated or complaining about the idea of having to work nine to five or nine to six or nine to seven and then have an hour and a half commute five days a week? Why is she complaining about that? We've always done that. Grow the fuck up. I don't want to sound like the old annoying guy, but that's really what I think in this situation. And so then the young man comes in and he says, but I think, I think that we're wrong to be thinking like that, to have that mentality. Like studies have been done that show that nobody's actually productive from nine in the morning to five in the afternoon, five days a week. It just, you're probably going to get four good hours of productive work out of those eight, you know? And experiments have been done with shorter work weeks, maybe three or four days instead of five, and shorter work days, maybe four to six hours instead of eight. And we've actually seen real improvements in job satisfaction, happiness, productivity. So it seems that it would actually be better for everyone involved, not just the employee, but everyone involved, if people didn't have to work from nine to five, Monday to Friday. If we rethought the traditional work schedule, everybody would be happier because at the end of the day, we're all looking for more or less the same things. And that's what he was saying in the clip. We're not working so that some CEO of a corporation could have another yacht or a Bentley or a Mercedes Benz or another house or take his family on vacation. We're working so that we can do that shit, not be millionaires and fly on private jets, but at least have enough time and money to pay our bills and then do other shit that we're interested in. We're not living to work. We're working to live, you know? So I just think really what he's saying is at the end of the day, if our jobs are working against the result we're looking for in the first place, which is life satisfaction, decent amount of free time to work on our hobbies or spend time with family or do whatever we want, if our jobs are working against that, maybe we should reevaluate our jobs. <laughs> And the way that we do those jobs and how much time and energy we dedicate to those jobs and how much money we get paid for those jobs. Maybe it's time that we start having more conversations about that. I believe that's what he's saying. And to me, this is a really interesting conversation because no matter what generation you're from, you're almost certain to have some kind of opinion on it because at some point you're most likely going to have to work, right? Or maybe you're already working. But I still think it's just interesting to think about not just the job itself, but the, the differences in the attitudes of each generation toward our jobs. Because when you think about Gen X, for example, which is my parents' generation, they just grew up in a completely different time than the time that we're currently in, the time that Gen, Gen Z is growing up in, you know? And like Gen X is often referred to as the latchkey generation, which really speaks to the time that they were living in and how they developed as people. And just in case you don't know, the term latchkey generation refers to a group of children who would return home from school to an empty house because both of their parents were working at the time. So a lot of these kids would have a latchkey or a house key 
either on a necklace or something or in their bag or whatever, they had a key to the house as kids. Because once they got out of school, they would have to go home and both of their parents are at work. So they would have to take care of themselves. And the reason for this, at least the way I understand it, is just because of the economic landscape at the time. Like, I believe there was a energy crisis in the 70s and then a recession in the 80s in the U.S., I'm saying. And for that reason, all that economic pressure required both parents to work. It, we just couldn't sustain a household with just the father working and the mother staying at home taking care of the kids. So what that meant is those kids had to take care of themselves. You know, there were a lot of single family or excuse me, single parent families as well. Just the mom or just the dad around that time. So it was just a different. It was just a different time, you know. The children were responsible for taking care of themselves for hours a day after school. They had to make their own lunch, maybe even make their own dinner, take care of their younger siblings, clean the house. They were out in the streets with their friends and stuff like that. They were just doing their own thing, you know? They were just doing their own thing. They learned independence and self-reliance and resourcefulness much younger than the typical kid in Gen Z. And I don't think it's just because they wanted to be that way. I think it was just the necessity of the times, right? They were really the first generation, at least in recent times, to experience that level of reduced adult supervision, you know? I really think so. And in that term, latchkey, sometimes carries a negative connotation, right? Because depending on how you look at the situation, you might think, oh, these kids are being neglected. They're not getting enough attention or whatever. But honestly, a lot of people that I know from Gen X think about that time in their life as super valuable. It taught them the skills they really needed to know to survive as adults. You know what I mean? So this generation, getting back to my point of independence and self-sufficiency and resourcefulness and all that, this generation is much more accustomed to the idea of being independent, of doing things for yourself, of solving your own problems. You know, they're also accustomed to the idea of working not one but even two jobs just to make ends meet and support a family because they watch their own parents break their backs and sacrifice priceless moments with the family because they had bills to pay and they had kids to feed, right? They grew up with the idea that working hard will help you get ahead in life because that's what they watch their parents do to get ahead in life. So Gen Xers are much more likely to value and pursue careers that offer long-term security. And they're more likely to stay with one employer for a significant amount of time because that's what they wanted back then, job security. Times are tough. The economic situation isn't great. Both of my parents are struggling. So when I get older and look for a job, I'm going to look for something stable so that I can keep paying my bills, keep paying my mortgage, support a family, and I don't have to worry about stressing over money all the time. I can get into this company, do a great job, work extra hard, move up the corporate ladder, and I'll be fine. That's their mentality, or a lot of them, that's their mentality. They take a much more pragmatic and measured approach to life, right? They value financial security much more than flexibility or freedom, let's say, right? And it's also worth mentioning that they were the last generation to grow up in analog times and then their adulthood was in digital times, right? Because when my parents were kids, they didn't have smartphones and social media and the internet and shit like that. So the media they consumed was also drastically different. And I think it's common knowledge now that the, the media you consume heavily influences the way you think, 
the way you see the world, the decisions you make and all that shit. So even their ideas and attitudes towards life and work were different because of the media they were consuming. They just didn't have access to all the information and alternative lifestyles that we have access to today, you know? I think it's something that doesn't necessarily get looked at very often when comparing these generations. The economic times or the economic situation of their time, uh, the media situation of their time, the culture of their time, it was just completely different. So when you think about Gen Z, who largely, I mean, even before that, millennials, my generation, we grew up with technology, but it wasn't as strong or potent or as invasive as it is today, I think. Like when I was a kid, we had PlayStations. I think I got my first cell phone when I was like 14 or 15 because my dad got a new phone and I just took his old one because he didn't need it. But I didn't need that shit either. <laughs> Who the fuck was I going to call at 14, you know? But I'm just saying that we grew up, we're familiar with technology, but we're also familiar with a simpler form of technology. Like social media didn't come around, I think, till I was in high school, you know? And then when you think about Gen Z, they were born with this shit. You see what I'm saying? Gen Z was born just during a different time. Like we had the financial crisis in 2008, but a lot of Gen Zers were still little babies around that time. I was a kid around that time. So think about Gen, Gen Zers. And so after that, after the crisis of 2008, 2009 or whatever, we've seen a really, really long run of economic prosperity in the United States. And for that reason, just the kids of this time aren't growing up with the same economic pressures that my parents did, for example. And it's not to say that both parents aren't still working at the same time. It's not to say that um, kids don't need some level of independence, but I just don't think it's the same. Because when you think about the technological influence, a lot more kids are just growing up in the house, looking at their phones, playing video games, sitting around doing nothing. They're not out in the streets. They're not working jobs. They're not socializing as much as my parents did, for example. They're much more socially anxious. And then when you think about the media they're consuming on their devices, they're much more exposed to different social issues and causes and movements and shit like that. Much more propaganda, much more misinformation and disinformation. You know, it's just, it's just a different time. It's a different time. Their, their heads are being filled with different ideas. They care about different shit. Their priorities are different. You know, and that's not to say that every Gen Z is growing up rich and doesn't have any problems. Obviously, that's not true. I'm just saying that uh, the economic situation, the technological situation, and definitely the cultural situation is different. Like Gen Zers, I think much more than job security, tend to look for flexibility and freedom. They want their free time to be able to dedicate to their passions or they want to choose a job that aligns with their passions. They want to wake up and do what they love every day. They look at work as something that should be enjoyed, not something that should be done to pay the bills. And I'm generalizing, obviously, but if we had to draw the line between the difference in the way the two generations see work, I would say that's a major difference. Is my parents, it's more like, well, I need to work to pay bills, so let me just find a job that's secure, has good benefits, good health insurance, Maybe not an asshole for a boss and that I could see myself here for 20 or 30 years and move up in position and status and pay and have a good retirement or whatever. It's not like, oh, this has to be my life's passion. Whereas Gen Z, they're much more like, I don't want to dedicate 40 to 50 years of my life to some bullshit job so somebody else can get rich 
when I can barely even pay my bills or have time for friends or to find a partner or travel. I want that flexibility. I want to work online. I don't want to have to go into the office. I don't want to have to put on a suit and tie. I don't want to have to do this and that. Right? They value different things. And so a Gen Xer might look at that and say, you lazy piece of shit. What, you think you're in a fucking fairy tale? You think you're going to wake up and live out your dreams every fucking day? Grow up. This is real life. Get a job. Make some money. Start a family. And Gen Z is like, yeah, we, well, yeah, I mean, maybe that was popular in your time, but times are different. You know, a lot of Gen Zers don't even want a family. So I, you know, I'm sure that we could go much deeper into all the differences and details between the two generations. But I just wanted to highlight that really quickly, like the times in which the two generations grew up is drastically different. And for that reason, I believe what they value and what they want out of life is drastically different. You know, because in the past, I think I said this in episode 62 or whatever it was about Gen Z. In the past, um, damn, I just lost my train of thought. Give me a second. Ah, yeah, I remember. So in the past, like the idea of committing yourself to one company and working for 40 or however many years, that was attractive because at least you knew I can get into this company, it's stable, I can keep this job and I can buy a house and it'll all be worth it. I may not love my job, but it's gonna be enough to support a family. Whereas these days, Gen Zers are looking at the job market and they see, well, I'm working 50 hours a week and I still can barely afford to pay bills. I have no disposable income. I have no free time, no social life. I don't like my job. What the fuck am I doing this for? This is stupid. The whole point of getting a job was to be able to have a house, start a family, maybe take a vacation once a year if you're lucky, something, something, right? But the juice needs to be worth the squeeze. The reward needs to be worth the effort. And it just doesn't seem that that's the case anymore. A college degree is not a guarantee to a great job at a good company anymore. Two degrees, a PhD is not a guarantee anymore. So a lot less kids want to go to college for that reason. Just seems like a waste of time, you know? I'm just saying it's different. That's all I'm saying is uh, living in the same way our parents did doesn't necessarily yield the same results anymore. And I think that's what the young man in the clip was saying. He's like, listen, what are we working for in the first place so that we can live good lives? Not so that we can be rich billionaires or stars or anything. We just want to live a decent life. Most people I find, most people I talk to just want to live a decent life. They don't necessarily want to be rich and famous. But they want to be able to pay their bills and like leave the house without worrying about getting robbed or knocked over or some shit like that. They want to go to work and do something that's tolerable. You know, they want to work decent hours and live close enough to work so they don't spend an hour and a half on the train just to get there and then an hour and a half just to get back home. I don't think that's too much to ask, especially when considering how much money some of these companies are making, how much more you have to pay to have a decent quality of life and how salaries have largely stagnated and people aren't getting paid what they really need to survive. So anyway, let's move on to the questions that I have for you guys, because I didn't want to spend too much time talking about the differences between Gen X and Gen Z, um, because I think I would need much more time to really get into the history of each generation, like what was really going on in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and how that differs from now and all that. If there's any economists listening, any historians listening, please feel free to reach out 
I would love to have you on the podcast so we could talk about that type of stuff. I'm just not educated enough to really get into all the nitty gritty, but I did want to highlight the main differences in the mentality of the two generations, because that's the whole point of this episode. And really the conversation I want to start based on the clip that I played at the beginning of the episode is about the following questions. So the first one, what exactly are we working for in 2023, 2024, 2025 and beyond? Or even more specifically, what are you working for? What are you working for? Why do you get out of bed every morning? Is it just to support your children? You're just living for them because you know you have to take care of them now. So fuck it. I'm going to just keep doing what I got to do to make money so that they can have a good life. My life doesn't matter. My happiness doesn't matter. It's all about my kids. Is that you? Is that how you think? Or maybe you're working so that you can save up a bunch of money, make some investments and then retire early and go live on some tropical beach or just travel the world. Or I don't know, maybe you want to be self-sustaining, self-sufficient and buy a tiny home, put some solar panels on that shit, buy an electric car, learn how to grow your own food and raise your own animals. I don't know. Is that what you want to do? Or maybe you like the idea of joining some corporation. You want to work for Nike or Google or Apple or Coca-Cola or fucking who Samsung or somebody. And you want to get into the job on some entry level position. You want to work up the corporate ladder and become an executive, become a boss, a CEO or something like that. Maybe that's you. What are you working for? You want more money? You want freedom of time? Do you enjoy your job? Like, what are you doing this for? 
you work, you retire, maybe have some grandkids, maybe take a vacation or something, and ah, you're dead. You know what I'm saying? That was it. But obviously today, I think um, people just want different things. Like even the idea of owning a house for a lot of people is ludicrous. Like even me, I'm not against owning a house, but if I could take all that money and do so much more with it, I don't need a house right now. So why would I make that commitment? You know, but in the past, it made all the sense in the world to have to most people, you know. So what is it that we're working for today? If it's not just the, the basics, survival and raising a family, what else are we working for? And another question that I have for you is what would we do if we did not have to work? Because back in 2016, I believe it was, presidential candidate Andrew Yang was promoting the idea of universal basic income. Just in case you don't know what that is, the simplest way I can explain the idea is automation is coming. In fact, it's already here. So over the next 10 to 20 or 30 years, a lot of jobs will be automated and replaced by software programs or even actual robots. For that reason, we're going to have a lot of people with nothing to do. A lot of uneducated people who can't transfer careers so easily, who don't have much technical experience or education, didn't really train for any other jobs, um, and all they know how to do is what they're doing now. So if they get replaced by a robot, what are they going to do? That's bad for everybody if large parts of the population are not making money or doing anything with themselves. So Andrew Yang was saying, listen, we need to find a way to redistribute wealth and just send every American citizen over the age of 18 a certain amount of money that they need to survive, even if they can't work a job. And so imagine something like, I don't really see how that would work, but let's just stick with me here and think about that idea. Imagine they implement that and we don't have to work. What would we, better yet, what would you be doing with all that time? And I'm not saying that you have a bunch of money just to travel and live like a millionaire. I'm saying the government's going to give you just enough to pay for an apartment, your bills, healthcare, food, maybe some clothing, and your children's education. And that's it. What are you going to do then? You know, because that's really what most of our time is taken up by is our jobs. So if we had all that time back to do with, uh, or excuse me, to do whatever we wanted, what will we be doing? What does the world look like when software programs and robots are doing the majority of the heavy lifting for us? Because it sounds great on paper, but there's seven plus billion people here. So if nobody's working, what is everybody doing? I don't have the answer to that question. I'm asking you. Another thing I want to ask you is what, or really, I'm not asking for the answer here. I'm asking you to think about what would the global economy look like if everybody were financially literate and responsible? Because I saw, I think it was a video clip on TikTok or I heard a podcast clip. I never know where I see these things. I just see them and remember them because they're interesting. I think I saw this on TikTok. This guy basically asking, or no, he was saying, I believe, that the current system that we operate under, this capitalistic structure, only continues to work because people are making dumb financial decisions, because people are buying shit that they don't need. 
because so many of us around the world, especially in the U.S., are so consumeristic, right? Just buying, 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 buying a bunch of shit that we don't necessarily need, but that money is getting transferred and it's being circulated through the economy. Jobs are being created, money's switching hands and shit, right? Theoretically, that's good. I don't understand it well enough to say more than that, but in my, it's my understanding that that's a good thing. And so if everybody were truly financially educated and knew what to do with their money, if they were taught the same things that rich people were taught on how to make, keep, and multiply your money, what would the world look like? If people weren't spending their money on bullshit that they genuinely did not need, what would the world look like? What would the economy look like? To me, that's a very interesting question because I have to imagine the majority of the shit that many of us buy in rich countries. I'm not talking about the whole world. I mean, rich countries, the United States, for example. I have to imagine the majority of shit that we buy is stuff that we don't really need. <laughs> but it's like sometimes we have an expression. We say that, uh, that our money is burning a hole in our pockets. And when somebody says that, it means that you just, you have some money to spend, disposable income, and you just don't know what to do with it, but you just feel like you have to spend it just because you have it. You need to do something with it. So you got some money in your pocket and imagine it's literally burning a hole in the bottom of your pocket and it's going to fall out of your pants, you know? So you might, maybe you have kids or something and they just got a job. They're finally getting some money in their pocket. They got a little paycheck or something like that. And they just start buying a bunch of shit just because they can. It's the first time they've ever had money. So fuck it. I'm going to buy a PlayStation. I'm going to buy the new the new Jordans, I'm gonna buy, I don't know, an iPhone, or I'm gonna take my girl out, I'm gonna take a trip or whatever, just because you have money. And so that money is burning a hole in your pocket. It's making you feel like just because you have it, you have to spend it, you know? And I feel like that's a lot of us. We just got money burning holes in our pockets and we don't know what to do with it because we're not really financially educated. And so if you don't, if you were never talked to about investing, if you were never talked to about how to make your money multiply, how to start a business and then run that business successfully. And you've just been a consumer your whole life. Once you finally get some money, what are you going to do? Just continue consuming just at a much higher level because <laughs> you got more money to spend. So what would the world look like if we were all educated the same way rich people educate their children? I just think it's something interesting to think about. And the final question I'll ask you before I get out of here is the following. Because having conversations about this topic is fine. I think it's really important. I think it's interesting. I think it's good that we discuss cultural, economic, societal things that affect all of us on some level. But the real question I had when watching this clip is, who is actually responsible for initiating or implementing these changes? Because if we're all, we all agree, yes, we should work four days a week instead of five. We should work six hours a day instead of eight. We should get paid at least enough to actually survive in this fucking city, country, whatever. We can all agree on that. But who's actually going to make that change? Because what I find happens a lot with social issues, and I'm not saying that this is a serious social issue at the moment. I'm just saying anything that's related to society, any issue, often gets tweeted about Videos get made about it and put on Instagram and TikTok and YouTube and all that. And you get the comments and the likes and yeah, these greedy corporate bastards, they need to bad, 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 bad. And then nothing happens, <laughs> you know, 
Because I think, obviously, making noise about something, starting a conversation about something is important. People aren't going to know something's important unless you bring it to their attention and show them how it affects them on some level. So, of course, we need to talk about it. But who's responsible for saying, okay, I hear you guys, we're going to change the work week. We're going to change the work day. We're going to change your salary. Is it the CEO? I don't know. I genuinely am asking. I don't know who would be responsible for making these changes in our society. Because that's who we need to be talking to. You know, talking amongst ourselves is good. If we're going to organize some kind of movement or develop a plan that is actionable, right? But for us to do that, I think we need to know who the decision maker is and what language they speak and how we need to speak to them in a way that will influence their decision making. Because if they're the ones that's going to make the decision to shorten the work week or work day or salaries, then we need to be talking to them, not each other, you know? So I don't know. I have zero answers here. I just got questions for you, my friend. You know me. Just out here asking questions, trying to get you to think about a little something in this episode of Real English Radio, for which I will thank you. I'm not thanking you for the episode, am I? <laughs> I'm <laughs> thanking you for your time and attention, as always. Thank you for listening to the show. Big shout out to Marcelo. I don't know your last name, my friend, and I didn't ask you where you were from, but thank you for sending me that message recently on Instagram. Top 2% listener. I don't know if y'all do the whole Spotify wrapped thing, if y'all even use Spotify, but I'm sure you've heard that Spotify every year will give you like a summary of all the people that you've listened to, how many minutes you listened to each podcast or how many times you played each song and shit like that. And this guy named Marcelo, who I'm assuming is Brazilian because of his Instagram name. Sorry if I'm getting this wrong, bro. But he sent me a screenshot showing me that he was in the top 2% of listeners for my podcast or of my podcast on Spotify. So shout out to you, my friend, Francisco Santelisa, Alejandra Rivera, Victor Carrasco, all of y'all, man. I'm sure I'm forgetting other people I should be mentioning. Uh, but anybody who listens to and supports this podcast. I appreciate y'all, man. I'm glad to know that you're learning with the show, that you're enjoying it. Got lots of episodes coming soon. And getting back to my point, one thing that I always try to do with the episode when I'm not fucking around making jokes and shit is just make you think, give you something to think about so that you're engaged in something interesting and not focused on the fact that you need to study and practice English all the time. So it's really, really, really cool to know that that is the experience y'all are having that you're learning, you're thinking about things, you're enjoying the learning process and shit like that. It's, it's very cool. Very cool. So I guess I'm gonna leave you with that, my friend. I got those four questions for you, right? What exactly are you working for? What would you do if you didn't have to work? What do you think the global economy would look like if all of us were financially educated and responsible? And finally, having conversations about this topic is great, but who's actually responsible for initiating the change? Those are questions I have for you. Feel free to hit me up with your responses. And um, I guess I'm going to go ahead and end it there, my friend. This has been another episode of Real English Radio. As always, I am your host, Tony Kaizen. And I'll talk to you soon. Peace. Mom 
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.